you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter, not Matthew, Mark chapter 12, verse 13. I was uh, joking with Caleb uh, when we were picking up the songs uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, this would have been a very timely sermon in April when uh, taxes are on everyone's mind. That's something we don't get a lot of, sermons on taxes, but here we are. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Mark writes, And they, that is, uh, the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, and they marvel at him. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to this text uh, that, that often seems so basic to us, uh, help us to see uh, the greater realities of Christian discipleship uh, in a fallen world as we find ourselves uh, in a situation uh, not too unfamiliar to the disciples uh, of Jesus' day or those uh, that Mark would have written this gospel for. And so we pray that we would have a greater understanding of how we are to live in this dark and corrupt world which lies under the power of the evil one so that we might shine as lights that we might bring glory to you in our words and our deeds and see the lost uh, come to Christ uh, through uh, our proclamation of the gospel and through us living lives in accord with the gospel of Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So here we have uh, the first of several traps that they're going to try to get Jesus in. Last time we were together, we saw that Jesus had uh, upset them greatly by uh, telling the parable uh, of the vineyard, of the tenants who were spiteful and mean to the servants and who ultimately killed the son so that they could uh, attain the inheritance and they understood that Jesus was talking about him. And Mark told us that they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people. And so now they're trying to find a way to trap him. They're trying to get him to say something that they can use to bring about his death. As we're going to see later on, they did not have the authority and power to inflict the death sentence upon him. They were going to be dependent upon the Romans. And so they come asking what seems on the surface an innocent question. Not until, not until they butter him up, though. So they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. 
We know they don't really believe what they're saying. If they believed that he taught the way of God, they would have repented of their sins, they would have trusted him as the Messiah, and they wouldn't be trying to trap him in his words. But flattery gets you uh, pretty far in life, and Jesus, knowing what they're doing, will see through it. But they ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It seems like such a simple question on the surface of it. And yet there's layers of history behind that question. Now, I think sometimes not knowing the history hinders our understanding of what's going on in the Bible. So a brief history lesson. So after the Jewish people came back from their Babylonian captivity, they never experienced self-government after that. Uh, they went from being governed by the Babylonian Empire after their return from exile, having governors that were appointed for them to being ruled by uh, the Greeks. Antiochus Epiphanes, if you're familiar with the events of the Passover and the Maccabean Revolt, uh, they revolted against uh, the Greek government that oppressed them, only to find themselves very shortly after under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They did not have a king, although we call, often call Herod King Herod. Officially and legally, Herod was not king. He, he might have wanted to be king, but he could not be king, as we're reminded in the account of Jesus' crucifixion. Everyone knew who was king, that Caesar was their king. And so the Jewish people find themselves uh, under the government of the Roman Empire, a terribly cruel and oppressive government uh, that would just as soon crucify them along the roadside as listen to them. Uh, we see some of the oppression uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, they would have no problem striking a Jew for no reason at all. And so Jesus says, if somebody strikes you, you're to turn the other cheek. Uh, if they wanted somebody to carry their supplies because there was a Roman legion uh, headquartered in Jerusalem, uh, they could ask any Jewish uh, resident uh, to carry their luggage for a mile, and they'd have to. And so Jesus says, uh, if they ask you to walk a mile, walk a second mile. So they find themselves under Roman occupation. Not only are they occupied by the Romans, but they're being taxed by the Romans. This whole system of control uh, that's being instituted by the Rome through the use of their armies required financing. People in Rome weren't going to pay their own money to govern these outlying territories. So where's the money going to come to employ all these centurions and soldiers that are going to keep this backwaters part of the Roman Empire going? Now the Romans instituted a system of taxation. So the Jewish people were forced under the circumstance being occupied by what they viewed as an enemy military force and they were being forced by that occupying force to support their occupation by paying taxes. 
It would be like if Canada came down, invaded America, uh, situated Mounties across the U.S., and we had to pay taxes to Canada to keep the Mounties uh, so we could uh, enjoy uh, being governed by Canada. It would probably rub us the wrong way. It would probably upset us, and it upsetted many of the Jews of Jesus' day. Uh, if you remember one of Jesus' disciples, Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were part of a, a revolutionary group who were in rebellion to the Roman Empire. They were doing everything they could to overthrow Rome. There was a great number of people that would have loved nothing more than for the Roman soldiers to be pushed into the sea and be done away with forever. There, between the pious and devout Jewish people and the Roman Empire, there was very little love. But there were those who would compromise themselves to the system. Herod's power and authority over Judea was dependent upon Caesar's support. And so Herod's followers and the Pharisees, a very unlikely group, are sent to Jesus. The Pharisees would have been the theological conservatives of their day. They would have been the social conservatives of their day. And it's very surprising that they're allying themselves and coming with the Herodians. Because the Herodians were unfaithful. They were servants of Herod, who was notorious for his lack of piety. And so the question comes, is it lawful or another way of asking it, is it sinful for us to be paying Caesar? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They, they were desperately hoping, as they were setting a trap for him, that Jesus would give a simple yes or no answer. If he says yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, uh, they will use those words to turn the crowds against Jesus because the crowds hate Caesar. The crowds want nothing to do with Caesar. The crowds are very angered at having to pay taxes to Caesar. But if Jesus says no, then he can, they can arrest Jesus, bring him over to the Roman uh, prefect of Pilate and say, this man is saying that we cannot pay taxes to you. You're not going to let that stand, are you? And we're told in verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy. Again, history is a powerful tool. The, the hypocrisy wasn't simply the fact that they were trying to catch them in their talk their hypocrisy is, uh, we'll see shortly. So, just shortly before this, uh, about a decade before what is happening occurred, when Pilate was sent to be the procurator, he was sent to govern this area, Josephus tells us that Pilate being sent by Tiberius as procurator to Judea, introduced into Jerusalem by night, and undercover the effigies of Caesar which are called standards. So standards with the image of Caesar were secretly brought into Jerusalem. This proceeding, when day broke, aroused immense excitement among the Jews 
Those on the spot were in consternation, considering their laws to have been trampled underfoot, as those laws permit no image to be erected in the city, while the indignation of the townspeople stirred the countryside, who flocked together in crowds. Hastening after Pilate to Caesarea, the Jews implored him to remove the standards from Jerusalem and to uphold the laws of their ancestors. When Pilate refused, they fell prostrate around his house and for five whole days and nights remained motionless in that position. On the ensuing day, Pilate took his seat on his tribunal in the great stadium and summoning the multitude with the apparent intention of answering them, gave the arranged signal to his armed soldiers to surround the Jews. Finding themselves at a ring of troops three deep, the Jews were struck dumb at this unexpected sight. Pilate, after threatening to cut them down if they refused to omit Caesar's images, signaled to the soldiers to draw their swords. Thereupon the Jews, as by concerted action, flung themselves in a body on the ground, extending their necks, and exclaimed that they were ready rather to die than to transgress the law. Overcome with astonishment at such intense religious devotion, Pilate gave orders for the immediate removal of the standards from Jerusalem. And so you, you have not too long before these leaders are questioning Jesus on whether it is valid to pay tax, you have Jerusalem and the surrounding area protesting the image of Caesar being present in Jerusalem because they believed that it was a violation of the law of God for a graven image to be in their city. Remember, Mark has told us, knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus is going to answer them. Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Jesus asked them to bring a coin. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. Now, if you don't understand what a denarius is, you're going to understand very quickly. He said to them, whose likeness is an inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Wait a minute. You know, Jesus could have been more on the, uh, on the point on this. He could have said, weren't you guys just years ago protesting and willing to die so that the image of Caesar wouldn't come into our city and defile our city and violate the law of God? Well, why do you have the image of Caesar in the temple? Well, why would you even have this? Because as they told Jesus... Is the image of Caesar on the coin, on the head of the coin? It would have been the image of Tiberius Caesar, the one who had conquered them. And under his name, it would have been the inscription, Tiberius Caesar, the son of the divine, Augustus, Augustus. So, so uh, on the very front of the coin would have been the claim that Caesar is the son of God, that Caesar is God himself, and that when Caesar dies, he's going to heaven, and that he'll reign over everyone. And on the other side of the coin was the Roman goddess of peace, Pax, with the words, Pontifex Maximus, the greatest bridge builder to the gods. The idea was that the Roman emperor was how you got on the side, good side of the gods. 
Prior to the Roman emperors, it was the title of the Roman high priest, but it was a title that had been taken by the emperors. And so the very thing that they were willing to lay down their life in protest for, they're carrying around in their pocket. Not a thought in the world. This image of the emperor who styles himself as a god, who had defiled their city with his image, and now they're just walking around as if there's not a problem in the world. It wasn't a problem then because they were making money off of it. Remember who Jesus drove out of the temple. It was the money changers. Those who were exchanging people's Roman currency for temple currency so that they could pay the temple tax and so that the money changers and the religious leaders could make a tidy profit off of it. And so uh, they're more than happy to turn a blind eye to Caesar's image being present in the temple. So Jesus asked them for the coin, and he exposes their hypocrisy. Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Right then and there, uh, it should have woken some self-understanding. Wait, wait a minute, we, we have this graven image that, that just years before we were protesting being brought into our city, and now we're carrying it around like it's nothing. And so Jesus gives them a short, simple, but not really simple response. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. There was an understanding that if your name and image was engraved upon it, something, that you owned it. You know, in my uh, office, uh, down at the end of the hallway, uh, I have a... Uh, a present that Heather gave me uh, years ago. It's a library embosser, so you could pick up any book on my shelf, and you would open up a first page and see uh, that it's from my library. And so if I ever lent somebody a book, uh, when they're opening it up, uh, they'd be reminded who that book belonged to. And, and the, the understanding was the same, that if your name and image or something, it belonged to you. And, and in a way, what Jesus is saying, if Caesar wanted this coin so much that he's going to put his face and his name on it, let him have it. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. This has historically been uh, uh, seen as representing uh, the separation of church and state, the separation of uh, the powers of the kingdoms of men and God's kingdom, the civil authority, the state does have uh, by divine institution certain uh, requirements that we are required to fulfill. And whether we like it or not, taxation is one of them. I, I was talking with someone this week, and uh, we were observing the fact that in the younger generation, uh, that there's this increasing uh, idea that if the taxes are going to something that we might find morally objectionable, then somehow we are free from paying those taxes. I, I want to remind you who Jesus is talking about paying taxes to. The Roman authorities who have not been kind to the Jewish people, 
There had been Jewish uprisings, and they met those uprisings with crucifying and putting to death thousands of Jews. The Roman Empire was very far from being a representative of government virtue. Not only that, but Jesus has been telling his followers uh, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, uh, predicting his suffering and death, that the chief priests and the elders are going to hand Jesus over to who? To the Romans. Jesus is going to be executed by Roman soldiers who are being funded by the taxes that the Jewish people paid. Paul himself in Romans 13 uh, reminds the early church uh, the importance of paying their taxes. Paul says in Romans 13, uh, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience." For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You know, it's very interesting that the issue of whether Christians should pay taxes or not is a very relatively new question in the history of Christianity. The early Christians living in a pagan Roman empire that deprived them of life and liberty, although they had been falsely accused of many things, you know, uh, some of the accusations came uh, from how we address one another. You know, we call each other brother and sister. So imagine you're in public and uh, your wife calls you brother and uh, you call her sister. What's the impression people are going to get if they don't understand that you're Christians and that's how you address one another? They're going to say that you're committing incest. So uh, the Roman Empire, many people would falsely accuse Christians of incest. Have you noticed we don't have a statue of God in here that we bow down and worship? In the Greco-Roman world, uh, if you had a god, you had an image of your god. You had an idol. If you didn't have an idol, you were without god. You didn't have a god. You were atheists. And so they accused the early Christians of atheism. When we observe uh, the Lord's Supper, what did Jesus say? This is my body broken for you. Uh, This is the new covenant in my blood. And so they would accuse early Christians of cannibalism. They'd say they're eating the body and blood of their Lord. And there were many accusations like that. But if you read the history, there is one accusation that was never made against Christians. They were never accused of being tax cheats. 
You read of the literature and attacks against Jesus in the early church, and they were never accused of dodging their taxes. You know, the, the one thing that every government in the world is very keen on enforcing, they were never accused of. The, the one thing that is always an open and shut case. I mean, in every government of the world, taxes are the one thing they get you on if they can't get you on anything else. And if you don't believe me about that, look at the history of Al Capone. Racketeering and all sorts of organized crime and what got him in prison. He didn't pay his taxes. And so we understand that even believers who found themselves living in an ungodly, immoral, evil state saw the responsibility of paying their taxes. But we, we find ourselves in a more complicated position than that. French writer Tocqueville said of America that America is the only country on earth where people can vote on taxes that they won't be paying. See, unlike the context that Jesus was speaking to and that Mark was writing about or even that Paul addressed, we find ourselves in the unique position that in some ways we are Caesar. You know, the founding principle of our founding fathers was a government for the people and by the people. And so, while we must pay our taxes, uh, th this brings us an understanding that we also bear responsibility and must voice our opinion. Jesus is speaking to people that have no voice in their government. Citizenship in the Roman Empire was reserved for a very few. You, you could earn your way to it through military service. You could purchase it or you could inherit it. Citizenship could be passed down. But very few, it, by and large, were citizens in the Roman government. Very few had a voice in the government. So Jesus is speaking to those who have no say and tells them that their responsibility is to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. See, Rome wants their money so bad, give it to them. It's mammon, it's unrighteous wealth. But as for you, you have the greater responsibility of giving to God the things that are God's. And our position that we find ourselves in is that we actually get a say. Not only do we have to pay our taxes, but given that we are given the sacred responsibility of having a voice in our government, something that many Christians would have loved to have had in the history of the church, we have a responsibility of making our voice heard. One of the main objections that many have to taxation in our day and age is the issue of abortion. And I've been clear, abortion is a terrible evil. 
The fact that abortion was legalized under Roe versus Wade was an unspeakable evil in the history of our country, deserving the judgment of God on our country. The number 60 plus million babies that have died in our country is a violation of Jesus' principle that we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Human life is made in the image of his, our creator God. Everyone from conception to natural death has inherent dignity, value, and worth. And while we may have to pay our taxes, we don't have to be happy about it. And we have opportunities to make a change in that. Jesus is writing in a time where they have no opportunities to make a change. See, there are some that thought they had the opportunity. The zealots thought that through violent uprisings uh, that they could do away with Rome. And we know what ultimately happened. A.D. 70, Rome came with its full force and destroyed Jerusalem and pulled the temple down. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God's the things that are God's. We are to render to God our conscience. We are to render to God our understanding of inherent value and dignity of life. Yes, the government can tax us, but the government cannot violate our conscience. Our conscience is held captive to the word word and will of God. And there may come a day when... The government will no longer respect our conscience. Right now, our Constitution protects uh, our conscience. So we have the First Amendment that guarantees us the right to free exercise of religion, that gives us the right to free speech, that gives us the right to speak out to things uh, that shock our conscience, and we understand our clear evils. We, we have the responsibility to speak out them. But one day, we will find ourselves in the same position as Jesus' contemporaries and Paul's contemporaries in Romans 13. We might find ourselves in a state very much like Rome. When John wrote Revelation, he had a a nation much like Rome in mind when he wrote Revelation 13, 11. That I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two thorns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the mark of the beast or the number of its name. This is a call for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. 
There may come a day when we find ourselves living in a nation where we have no rights, where our voice is not heard, where we find ourselves under worse subjugation than Jesus' contemporaries did. But when that day comes, the answer for us is not to follow after the example of the zealots of Jesus' day and say, we're going to overthrow this government and do something better. What we do in suffering, what the clear teaching of the New Testament is we entrust our hands to God, the judge, just judge of all. And until that day comes, we'll pay our taxes, but the day uh, comes uh, that we find ourselves living in that state, as we see in Revelation 13, we won't have to worry about it long. They'll take our, our lives before taxation becomes a problem. And so here the leaders thought that they had Jesus in a trap. Either we can turn the people against him or turn Rome against him. But it cuts to the heart of the issue. There are things that belong to the government that are owed to government, a certain level of respect for its authority, whether it's ungodly or not. And yet, at the same time, while we try to live as responsible citizens of heaven on earth, we understand that there is a line that the state that Caesar cannot and must not cross. We see this throughout the Old Testament. We saw this in Exodus when the midwives were instructed to put to death the Hebrew boys. And they feared God and would not do that. They would not honor Pharaoh, who is in the same position as Caesar. We see this in the book of Daniel repeatedly. Uh, the command is given uh, that everyone, at uh, the sound of a trumpet, is to worship the golden image of the king. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, were willing to face a fiery furnace rather than disobey the revealed will of God. Daniel, uh, here's the law that everyone who praises to pray to the, the king of Babylon. And what does he do? He continues praying to God. Because even in the Old Testament, they understood that there are things that belong to God, that are owed to God, that we cannot give to the state. And while it might seem unimaginable to us... Uh, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that live in nations that operate that very way, that demand for Caesar, that demand for the state, the things that belong to God. Think of what our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea have to live through. They, they live with a dictator who styles himself as a god, who thinks that he is to be the people's object of worship. And yet we have brothers and sisters in Christ who understand that they cannot and must not do that. And they do so at the risk of their life. And so yes, we must pay our taxes. We have to pay our fees and licenses. We have to pay our taxes for our tags that we might not enjoy it. But what we must never do is give to the state those things that belong to God. We must not give our conscience to the state. 
We must be like Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms uh, uh, who said, my conscience is held captive to the Word of God. We can't say, well, you know, uh, the government says this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is what we surrender our conscience to. This is what is to inform our conscience. And we might end up paying taxes to an evil state just as uh, the Jews of Jesus' day found themselves doing. But at the end of the day, as long as we understand that we give to God the things that are God's, we honor what Jesus taught here. And so uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians failed in what they set out to do. They thought they were setting a trap, but Jesus simply revealed their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy on several layers. Hypocrisy that the Pharisees who considered themselves the upholders of righteousness were siding with the Herodians, the followers of the temple, the court of King Herod, compromising themselves in trying to destroy Jesus. Demonstrating that they're willing to turn a blind eye to the law of God when it profited them. Whereas very likely many of these same people were willing to have their head chopped off in protest to Caesar's image being brought in uh, years before. We're now just walking it around with it in their pocket, jingling like loose change, showing how easy it is uh, for us to sacrifice our conviction and conscience when there's profit on the line. And so we close with this. We, we can never live according to this until we have given to God what is God's. And the, the first step of that is coming to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. We surrender our hearts and lives to Him because we are created in His image and His likeness. If we are created in His image and likeness and He has sent His Son to live and die for us, uh, then the, the first claim that He has on us is our surrender of ourselves, our repenting of our sins and seeking our own way and finding our life in Him. Because apart from that, you can give to Caesar what is Caesar, but you'll be given to yourself oh, what you're due. You'll never give to God the things that are God's outside a saving relationship with Christ. You will never live a life of right relationship with God and how you live in this world until you come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The clear teaching of the New Testament epistles that living a life that can render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's is something built on the foundation of the gospel. Knowing whose you are by creation and redemption. Knowing that you're part of a greater kingdom. You know, the charge made against Paul and Acts was that they were turning the world upside down, proclaiming that there is another king. While Caesar might have thought he was the son of the divine Augustus, we know that Jesus is son of the Father, who is creator of heaven and earth. While the Roman emperor thought he was the great bridge builder to the gods, we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. 
He is the way, not to the Roman gods, but to the one true and living God. And until you know him as your Lord and Savior, you find yourself in a desperate condition. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that even though we find ourselves in a world of darkness, and that darkness is often represented in the governments of this world, uh, we can live for you and trust you. Uh, we can obey uh, the, the state where your word permits. But we know that there may come a day when uh, the state or whatever authority might in- command us to do that which is against your word. And we pray that should that day come, we would find that it is a better to obey you than man. And I pray this morning that if there are any who have not come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today they would see their great need of Him because Your Son has been given the name that is above every name. Your Son has been given a throne that is above all power, rule, authority, and dominion. There is no authority greater than that of Christ. And one day... All of us will give an account, whether it be a judgment unto damnation or a judgment of our works and faithfulness. We know that an account will come. And so we pray that those who are far from you would come to know Jesus as their Savior today. And we pray that we who are believers uh, would live lives uh, that bring glory to you even in this dark time that we find ourselves in. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.